Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. Everybody wants to know, do we have to invest in Wall Street? Nope, you don't have to. And that's what left field investing is all about. There's a whole nother universe. It's a little bit in the left field, except for when you get in the left field, it's center field. That's coming right up. But first, I want to introduce TribeVest, our show sponsor. I have Travis Smith here, the founder and CEO. Travis, you know I'm a fan of your platform and I'm a member in four different tribes. In fact, I like the platform so much, I'm also an investor. Can you share some of the ways you think TribeVest can help build wealth for passive investors? Thanks, Jim. Well, as you know, we've built a platform that empowers people to easily and safely form investor tribes. If you're a part of an investor tribe, you can participate in deals that maybe you wouldn't or couldn't on your own. And I think that's why TribeVest is so popular amongst passive investors. Think about it. Deals start at 25000 but I've seen investment minimums as high as $100,000 or even $200,000. And I don't care who you are. Those are big checks to be writing as a solo investor. But as a tribe, each member can drastically lower their capital requirement and spread the risk on the deal. Or another way to look at it is where maybe as a solo investor, you might invest in one deal, but with your tribe, you could invest in five, maybe 10 deals. You can think of tribe investing as a wealth building experience with the people you know, like, and trust. If there are left fielders who are interested in learning more, please have them check out tribevest.com or reach out to me directly. Jim, we are thrilled to be a part of Passive Investing from Left Field and excited to listen to your interview with this week's guest. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. This is Whitney Sewell from LifeBridge Capital. You are listening to Passive Investing from Left Field. Okay, I am thrilled to have Josh McCallan here with us today from Accountable Equity and the Capital Hacking Podcast. I do have a bio. I'm not going to read it because it's more interesting some of the things that I've learned about Josh. He's a hospitality investor focused on turning around struggling resort properties. He, like we did at, at uh, Left Field Investors, has built a community of investors. In the past, he was a teacher. He spent time living in Europe. He built resorts and beach houses. Now he's living in Philadelphia or the greater Philadelphia That's area, right. I suppose, with his family. And he's focused on true hospitality through his resort investing. We're thrilled to have you here. Josh, welcome to the show. Jim, that was so kind of you. It's an absolute honor. Left field investors. I'm actually a new member of your community, my friend. I joined already on the group online. The Facebook group is awesome. Great. Well, we appreciate you being, uh, being part of our community. And part of what we want to learn today is obviously we want to learn about uh, resort investing. That sounds fantastic. 
we also want to learn your journey, kind of how you got to where, where you are now. So if you can start out with a little bit about your journey, that would be fantastic. Jim, you are a high quality host. I appreciate being on shows like this. The journey. Thanks for asking that. Listen, we're all, at the end of the day, we're born and we die. So you're right. There's a journey for all of us. And we all need to know that the beauty of why left field investing and left field investors is going to be enormous is because we want to deal with people that we know, like, and trust. And we know from being an investor ourselves, that's the way we make decisions. So it's always great to start at the beginning, give a little background on who we are, I'm super basic here. I'll go, I'm a father of 10 children. I know it's so shocking to you as much as it is to me, except wow. for I got, I got to be there. They're all natural children, uh, naturally born children from my wife and I. We've been married 24 years. Lovely Melanie McCown, famous Melanie McCown. She's like a celebrity designer now, designing beautiful stuff. So we grew up in a very humble home, thank God. Uh, my, my poor mom, and dad had a divorce situation early on in life. And then that's normal in the early 80s, late 70s. But then the, a tragedy actually happened on top of that. My poor mom, who had just become a nurse, was struck down with a cerebral hemorrhage and was in a coma for five days at 28 years old, which means I was approximately six years old. And so from that day forward, she never worked again. My dad, you know, was a normal, okay dude, but never had much money. So we struggled. Poor mom ended up having to help us by getting on welfare for a period of time. And that's just how I grew up. I loved working. I still love working. We work a lot. We have a mantra in our house. If you're part of my family, our family, we say, and we look at mom, if she's doing something to help the family, we say, is mom working? And then we all have to point ourselves, then I'm working. You know, you got to get your butt off the tookish and move, right? So it's simple, old fashioned. I call it baby boomer style house ethics and, and uh, work ethics. Everybody's got to work. Nobody gets anything for free. We're really happy as a family. So that's us. A couple really cool pivot points. We get into teaching as a mission. I wanted to really help people. But then I realized once I had children, we needed to transition to business. Really cool opportunity to get my free MBA while I work for universities. And that's what got us to Europe. One university, I got promoted, 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 thank God while I'm doing the MBA, and that they offer me a chance to run the European campus of a resort, turn into, it's a resort hotel. But in season for school, it's a school classroom. And it's in the Alps. I mean, it's so cool. Jim, you and I should, if it wasn't the COVID right now, we would be over yeah. there. Maria von Trapp would be singing to us at the back door. It's like out of sound of music. It was so beautiful, this village. That sounds fantastic. So that left a massive impact on my beautiful wife and I. We had two kids of the kids Two of the kids were born there, which is cool. And we lived a village life. We lived a really experiential walk in the park kind of life. Plus, we traveled the world. And it just left an impact on community, on us, and on experience. and on. So that's what we brought into our current life. So my current life is almost a 10-year successful track record through two different economies, you could say, two different market cycles, where we have been modifying properties that are either currently resorts or could be resorts. And I can't wait for you to say, well, but Josh, what the hell do you mean by resort then? And I'll tell you, but that could be resorts that need physical repair, and then they need a new kind of culture. And so we stumbled into this business because my, my previous partner was a super mega, mega wealthy person, unlike us. He did give us a wonderful chance to earn sweat equity. And from the early days in the boom cycle, back when houses were flipping and mega dollars, he was at the mega, mega height. I mean, he flipped a house that was worth $25 million, believe it or not. 
And I ran the house flips that were $5 million for him as a manager. And then I earned my his respect. And then he ended up letting me be an investor, no, well, sweat equity investor into his initial hotels. Remember, he bought things to flip. So he bought a bunch of crappy waterfront hotels in New Jersey. And then the recession started. He got rid of most of them except for one dump. And he's like, well, don't worry if it's a dump. We're going to tear it down and build condos. Well, when 2008 came, there was never going to be a teardown. Well, at least there still wouldn't have been a teardown of that building. And it's now, what, 12 years later. So because the teardown would have meant you had to build from scratch up and there wasn't enough positive movement in the market. So we ended up saying, we're not going to tear it down. What do you do to reposition a hotel? And we turned it into a resort and we stumbled, our life stumbled into a complete metamorphosis. At first we thought, oh, let's build pretty buildings, just like house flippers, but for resorts. And then we realized the operations were were not only where the wealth was created for the families who own these buildings, but also the ministry could happen. And I know this is a weird situation, but it took us years to figure this out. A couple of years of getting our teeth kicked in by guests who are unhappy with the way we ran it, but they were happy with the way we built it. So we actually had third-party managers. And so when we figured out that that was one of the problems, we removed them and we built a ground-up model to how to run these resorts. And it was built on a culture of love, really, a kind of a, I call it a motherly love, like yep. not, not a Kim Kardashian loves perfume love, but like <laughs> mom loves baby love, like really sacrificial love. Good. You know, others focus stuff. And so that transformed us into a nationally known small boutique brand. TripAdvisor recognizes as the seventh ranked hotel in America out of 55,000. This is five-year cycle, okay, from getting our teeth kicked in to becoming nationally recognized. And it was at that point, we bought two more resorts. And then, because you're a left-field investor, I learned what forced depreciation was. Because remember, up until then, I was just a doer. I was building things, physically the project lead, physically training the staff. And then all of a sudden, I watched what happened to the wealth building for my partner, who was the, the capital asset. His wealth went from, I shouldn't probably even say it on the air, it was astronomical transition, and it was all based on forced depreciation. So I've given you guys a couple crazy terms. And uh, I'll end here that in a wonderful grace, that partner was chose to purchase my equity back. And that gave us a cash situation that allowed us to create what we've created today. And what I call today is like the, maybe the first time in human history where guys like you and I can invest in world-class legendary resorts and earn equity growth and earn cash flow and get depreciation and be like the billionaires even though we don't have to have a billion dollars. So it's kind of a wonderful democratized wealth building platform my wife and I have built now. I think that that's fantastic. And I love the concept of forced equity, right? I, I do a lot of multifamily and, and other assets and this resort is a whole new world for me and, and for many people that are in the syndication world. So it's a nice diversification, but it's interesting to hear that we can do forced equity on a resort. And I imagine that there's two components to it. One is the actual physical resort and building up the amenities and the buildings there, but also you talked about building a community and building a culture of service from your staff and your employees to create a nice resort feeling that people want to come back to. You've kind of scratched the surface. Our deepest why is actually the experiences we think are very life-giving. Well-done service can really restore and revive the soul of the guest. Now, the surprise is if it's done really well, too, and if it's part of the normal culture of a property, it can restore the souls and make people feel more at peace, even as the working team, like me. So that's why we changed 
a whole pivot. We spent weeks and months even working with a, a person who I loved, who was a brand strategist, who dug into our heart, Melanie and I, and we came up with the terminology of new terms. And then we, we came up with the name of our type of hospitality. It's called Viva Me. Stylized French for two words that mean to revive the soul. So our entire hospitality buildings and brands and management is run by our management company called Revive the Soul, Viva Me. So that is actually our deepest why. Like Melanie and I would die on that hill. You know, we're soldiers running up Normandy D-Day and yeah. we get to the top and they're like, will you die for this? Yes, we will die for Viva May. Meaning we think that's what we were put here to do is to show people that well done hospitality is positive for you and for the gift you're giving to the guest. Sorry for that deep mantra, but that's actually why we're able to achieve these things. Because then we said, great, we have a vision, a setting, we know how to train staff, but we have to raise capital. So I think then I was became a specialist with Accountable Equity, which is our brand name for raising capital. And that's where we have an enormous investor community, enormous, and growing every weekend, thank God, every week, where we said to those people, would you like to own these assets with us? Now, we're over here running them. We're your worker bees, but we don't have enough money to buy as many as we can and we should buy. This is a privileged chance in American history to buy these at affordable prices right now. So we're not billionaires. So instead of us trying to become billionaires and then go buy them, why don't we just let everybody become very wealthy? So that's two different things. But back to how do you make money in, in resorts? What would you ask me now if I was one of the many, many friends of ours, you and I that have friends like Matt Faircloth and the Bigger Pockets people that raise money to buy things like mobile parks and uh, apartments, right. you might say to them, what's your business plan to force appreciation, Correct. Feel free to do the same type of questions to me and let me answer them in a context that's good for you and your listeners. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And you know, you mentioned bigger pockets, and I know on bigger pockets they call you the resort burr guy. I'd like to hear a little bit about that because I know what burr is from, you know, my single family homes. And I think that's also what people do in multifamily, right? When they're forcing equity, they're trying to get your capital back, return of capital as quickly as you, you can do it, because that then you have velocity of money, right? You invest, you get your capital back, but you still own the asset and then you just rinse and repeat. So is that kind of the strategy yeah. that you're going with? Yeah. And we'll, we'll hit it on the high level first. And if you, whatever you want to deep dive into, what is Burr? Burr is a uh, Brandon Turner came up with one of the best. He's just such a good person. It seems to me. I, I really admire Brandon and David Green, by the way, and Matt Fairclough and Jay Scott. They're all so <laughs> wonderful. And they Josh are. So Burr, buy it. That's good. We got to buy it. That's why we have an investor pool. Of, of, of friends now, we call them. Then we have to rehab it. So there is a strategy. We like to buy things that need to be repositioned. Now, sometimes it means rehabbed. Other times it means they're missing something, right? They have perhaps a, a relatively attractive front building, but do they need an auxiliary building to make massive revenue? So some kind of rehab. Then you have to uh, rent it at a higher price. So you need to change the revenue. That's the third I guess, number letter there. You have to rent. So, or, or in our case is revenue. We need a lot of rental revenue. Now I'll explain how we do that. Then you have to refinance it. And that's the magic of our equity funds. We do have a desire and a, and a business plan built into all of our models for a full recapitalization within five years. Of course, I want to go faster than five years, but I'm trying to be conservative. So all your money back as fast as five years or sooner, plus preference, you know, meaning you get money on top of your money, and then guess what? We partner forever. So we offer a perpetual partnership, like you said, velocity money. But then we repeat the process. And we're on 
We're currently almost acquired our third property here. When this show releases, we might own it. And before this year's over, um, the market is basically, you know, our destiny has started. And um, we have a team. We're here to purchase the, uh, as many properties that fit our model over the next few years. And eventually, 15 years from now, Jim, you and I will have 100 resorts under this program. Yeah. It doesn't happen in one day, but it happens. You know, one year you buy five, the next year you buy 10. So we're on a nice path here. We're really grateful. So forced appreciation comes from that third R. Right. And I guess the next question is, for people listening, I am sure, I don't know anything about resort investing except what I've learned from you in a couple of conversations, and I'm definitely intrigued. And right now is probably getting to be a fantastic time to buy. But it seems like as you're already owning properties, it would be a horrible time to be an <laughs> owner operator. Uh, no one, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. No one's traveling. No one's going to resorts, I wouldn't think. So can you talk a little bit about how you got through 2020 and how are you getting out of it? By the way, I'm going to go back and double check because this all comes down to that R, right? The revenue R, the rent R. So buy, rehab, revenue, <laughs> increase the rent. And then refi. So it's the second R. Okay, we're talking about the second R. <laughs> Forgive me, I always have to think it through. <laughs> so we're in the rent level. So if you and I were multifamily guys and ladies, we would buy a building that is charging $800 enough in rent. And we'd say, listen, the market can bear $1,100. let us shoot for 1000 a month and feel like we'll get there, fix it up, and then position it by getting higher rents. And then the magic of forced appreciation will happen more profit will drop to the bottom and the banks will say, here's another 4 million bucks, pay back your investors. What I just described to you is exactly how all, you know, most syndications work today. And, and uh, that's a true model. Now, ironically, for the first time that I can remember in my life, there's these weird moratoriums on eviction. So in a way, that R of all my friends who have multifamily is paused. It's not over, you know, it's just kind of paused. They can't really force appreciation uh, in this crazy COVID. For us, you'll notice our model is somewhat similar. We charge more rent price for the room, right? So at the end of the day, we have a building that looks like apartments. It's called a hotel as part of the resort. And we will charge more for the room. And that is a very fun way to make money. However, how do you charge more for the room? And therein lies the word resort. We created a, a model over the last 10 years that said, hotels are not what we're going to buy. We're going to buy resort style things. Because when you have a resort, you and your creative team, which we have amazing creative team, including Disney designers, Universal Studio designers, where we actually create experiences, even physical sometimes, which make it on the news, which mean people see them in COVID even, and they drive to come and enjoy them just because they themselves are the draw, meaning the event is the draw. And that's the magic of a resort. So resorts have draws that are implicit in their business plan. And if you operate the draw, the hook, the demand generator, well, then the rooms rent well, okay? So if you and I bought a Holiday Inn Express today, that would not be a bad idea. They're good. Apparently, that and Hampton Inn are the number one most desired ways to make money in hospitality. But guess what? When the business convention gets shut down for the next year or two, and 50% of their annual occupancy was from the convention center next door, they don't have that convention center next door. It's gone. So what could they do? Well, they could do what? Could they give away more free breakfast and see if that'll make you come? Nope. <laughs> no. But what we can do is we can put on a, an outdoor concert event. We can do outdoor ice skating. We can do winter village with artisans come. We can do a farmer's market in the spring. We can do a learn and grow type of experience for children or adults or agriculture. We have all these types of things on our properties. 
And if we do it right in a compelling way, you may drive down from Manhattan and just spend the weekend with us, which is how we sell out the hotel currently in COVID. Now, the secret is we didn't plan any of that in our business plan. So COVID added everything I just said to you wasn't in our business plan. Our entire business plan was golf was our golf. We had made a golf course. We'd run that well, but that'd be nice. What really we built our original business plan was by being the best wedding venues in these eclectic experiences in vines and on farms and on the water if we buy beach resorts. And the weddings were how we perform it. Now, what's magical about a resort that has wedding attraction is weddings book out two years in advance to 18 months out in advance. So we, during Corona, sold more weddings than anybody else in America. We sold four hundred weddings since Corona started. And that was just till the Christmas. So by doing that, we brought in 25% of the cash for the year 2021 and 2022 before the years even started, put it in the bank, put it on the balance sheet, buoyed up our entire business, made it stable. Then we added those fun things I just told you about, outdoor ice cream. So in a way, those became creative revenue generators that became way overperformed. Multiple, multiple millions of dollars came in during Corona, from ideas that weren't in the business plan, because we actually, you know what the strategic advantage there was? We had outdoor space. And Corona yeah. allowed us to become an outdoor venue. And, uh, and then we had the right team. So therein lies it. Just make revenue, specifically draw demand. And resorts have a power to do that, unlike any other real asset that I know of. Any other real asset, you know, you probably don't have as much demand generation capacity as we do. So we control our destiny. Another question for Travis Smith, the founder of TribeVest. Travis, I often talk about group investing and how it can ease someone into passive investing because they're investing with other people. Can you talk about the power of groups and how TribeVest can help new investors get started in syndication investing? I love this question because it reminds me of why we started TribeVest. My brothers and I saw real estate as a way to hack well without having to give up our day jobs. And despite not having any real estate investment experience, we found confidence as a tribe and that we'd be making decisions together. We were up for the adventure. We valued the idea of learning and growing together. But we had a more obvious problem than lack of experience. We lacked capital. We had good incomes, but didn't have the lump sums of money to break into syndicate investing. We each committed to contributing $500 monthly. And that was our breakthrough. As a tribe, the capital added up fast. And it wasn't long before we had our first experience in true wealth building. We were now part owners of a physician's office building in beautiful Pasadena, California. And we've been building wealth ever since. So yes, TribeVest is a great tool for people to ease into passive investing because it makes it so easy. And it helps you take the most important step, the first one. If you start pulling capital, the deals will come. Jim, we realized that if our tribe could do it, any tribe could. By forming and funding our investor tribe, we secured a future we could have never imagined. It really did change our lives. We were talking earlier, and, and I just love the idea. You, you mentioned it briefly, the Winter Festival. And it, it's interesting to me how a lot of this seems to come from your past, right? You lived in Europe. You got the idea or you, you managed some resort-type property there. 
which kind of led to where you are now. And you also presumably, you know, saw the winter festivals that they have there with the glue vine. And oh, yeah, baby. And then as you were telling me in our, in our first call, you started that. And that's how you, you made this revenue now, which I think is, is fantastic because part of being an owner of an asset, especially when you have investors, is being able to pivot in difficult times, right? How do you get through a pandemic? It was probably never something you you planned for, but boy, when it happened, coming up with that winter festival, that's a great idea. So I, I love the, those kind of ideas that, that change the, the, the format, right? Because now you can do that even when there's not a pandemic. Yeah, well, without a doubt, the legacy on that is incredible. Uh, 100,000 emails were collected during that festival. Can you believe that? And we did the social distance, and we followed all the rules and masks. So anybody's listening, just so you know, we were super COVID compliant, and we shared each person's infinite dignity with them by respecting them and giving them something enjoyable to do with their kids. By the way, real quick, positive story. A couple weekends ago, walking the outside perimeter, we do a lot of fire pits for the families, and there's this sofa setups. You know, it's like something out of a movie. It's so pretty in the vines and everything. And this one uh, couple, three generations, grandma, family, and ba- uh, children said it's the first time they saw each other since March 15th. And it was just a couple of days ago, and we're in the year 21 now. So March 15th, 20, I'm sorry, pre-COVID. And it was because they had seen us on the internet. They had seen us on television, actually, because the TV's here a lot, because these types of things, that's another surprise. Imagine the television channel showing up at a, an apartment building because you came up with a better signage program to sell more rooms. It, it, not it's not going to happen, right? But we had we were on every regional morning show. We were in the Wall Street Journal. It was like shocking power just because we pivoted into the right thing, COVID style, outdoor style, family style. Um, yeah, but it was influenced by our life in other countries. And this is not arrogant at all, but there, it was influenced by spending 40 years, or not really, but I mean, let, let's say legitimately 10 years studying the impact of dreams through Walt Disney, right? Remember, Disneyland. <laughs> was came out of a TV show that he had and generated an idea of a space and came out of his daughter wanting to go to Ferris wheels and stuff. And he just kind of incarnated all that creativity into what is now, you know, mega industry. Right. So in a way, you know, knowing that that's how life can work and knowing what it's like to live in Europe that has the same dang winter festival in Salzburg that's been going on since the middle ages, meaning freezing cold, Outside in the snow, spending money and having fun, which is like, it's like the definition of what you're allowed to do during COVID. You're not allowed to do anything except for stand outside in the cold and quietly enjoy yourself. That's about all you're allowed to do in COVID. And we we basically borrowed that idea from a thousand years of history, maybe. That's brilliant. And and I mean, that's got to be comfort to your investors who were expecting maybe some distributions and maybe those didn't happen or they were lower because of this, but at least you kept that one R going, that revenue, which is which is crucial. And you know, we see multifamily operators, they also did did some things that kept them going. And, and I think that's that's super important because you don't know what's coming. And and that kind of goes to my next question was I, I was listening to you on a podcast and you were talking about the death of the mall and how that's <laughs> gonna help your business model. Yeah. And I know this is kind of a tangent and kind of digging deep, but if you could just briefly wow talk about that because that was just that was really a cool uh, well it's true jim i've had this one gentleman he's a you know wharton the university of wharton at penn is famous for business analysts and business geniuses right so he's in a doctorate from there and he uh, is friends of a friend who helps us do some of our festivals so he's here as a kind of an enjoying our property 
anyway, he gets introduced to me in the summer when we were doing well. It was COVID, but it was summer outdoor concept, right? Everybody's outside. So he, he grabs me and goes, you know, I'm from Ralph Lauren. I've worked with all the major brands. And what you have here with the guests and how happy they are, this is the future of retail. I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, he's not teaching you and I something we haven't seen before. Like you've been to a resort and you've seen stores, right? But his point is the future is discovery of luxury products or of lifestyle products is very challenging. It's easy for you and I to buy something we want on the internet. It's more challenging for you and I to discover something that makes us excited on the internet because you don't touch it, smell it, see it, you know, easily. So he went through this dissertation with me and he's like, you know, where you're at, where you have flows of a thousand people on a day or 2000 on peak days, and they're coming because of a lifestyle experience and they see a lifestyle asset or product, they're going to buy it. So he said, let me demonstrate that in the winter village. So he did, we did these, this whole market village concept where we built these gorgeous little houses and we put these world-class vendors in it and they all sold the bejeebies out of their stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, well above their goals, right? Not, not millions of dollars, but well above their own goals. So what we're designing with our spaces is an organic ability to discover lifestyle assets. Of course, we're wineries and farms and waterfront properties. So there'll be things that kind of orient around that. And then there's going to be things that you're like discovering, whether it even be, he argues it's even going to be high-end clothing for ladies. It's going to be skincare. It's going to be everything, he says. It's hard for you and I maybe even grasp, but I, I intuitively agree with him. So it's not malls. It's not little shops, perhaps, but it's, it's, it's pop-ups, he calls them. Pop-up installations over here in the corner that are beautiful art, but you buy things at it. Or, and I was shocked, and he, he, he argues that if we keep the trend of the traffic patterns we have, that it's probably a multi-million dollar retail revenue stream. And I'm like, that's not anywhere near our business plan. Like that, right? we wouldn't, we still won't put that in our business plan for future assets because you know why? It's not something I can almost guarantee. So our business plans are usually built on good old fashioned selling. If I know, and our team knows how many, this is a little surprise. I'm going to tell you the whole business plan in one, one second. <laughs> we know we can buy something if it's undervalued and estimate its future value based on the number of wedding leads it's getting or that the market in the region is getting. And we can find that out. Again, super secret here. Don't shh, don't tell anybody. NDAs for all of you listeners. If you research the back end of the websites that lead the traffic. So if you research that and you know that market is getting an exorbitant number of leads, then you can say to yourself, oh, so then the technique is, is a purpose-built facility that is catered to, to modern trends that are usually agrarian, barn, cool, and an incredible sales process. No joke. Don't mess around with it. Like the best people, the best process, the best follow-up, the best love, and good marketing, right? Remember, I started with the, the indicator that the leads have to be there. Well, you better sell. It needs to be an integrity-based marketing program. Like you got to sell what you're really going to do, but you got to let everybody in the world know about it, right? And yeah. then you got to close them when they're here because, you know, sales are sacred. We teach is that sale helps Bobby the janitor, who literally Bobby the janitor is one of our best sales guys because he's so happy to be with us. But you, Jenny, making that sale helps us keep everybody employed. So I always say it's sacred the way we, we treat sales very sacredly. It helps the families, right? So you do that. That's what I put on my business plan. And everything else is bonus. By the way, we did fully distribute all preferences this year. And all, all distributions are full and current. Well, wow, that's incredible because, as I said, you know, I'm investing in several multifamily deals that, 
you know, they, they held back because of the pandemic and, and to see someone who's investing in resorts with nobody traveling. I mean, that, that's fantastic. And, and as you know, we were kind of connected through Steve Sue, who is one of the founders of Left Field Investors, and he's invested with you. And I am also interested in oh, investing with you. you. And, and, and that's one of the things that we do, you know, Left Field Investors is we're looking for quality people to invest with. And I know when we chatted in off air, you had talked about three different ways to invest with you, you know, owning the equity, there's some note stuff. And then the thing I really like, because I do invest in ATMs, um, you have an ATM on steroids. We're getting kind of close to the end here, but could you, in a couple of minutes, kind of hit all three yeah. of those uh, opportunities for people? Yeah. I'm, and I think, Jim, you got your show is about to air on big, the big boy show called Capital Hacking, which you and I had a hell of a great time on. But Capital Hacking just simply says business is built on if you follow the cash flows. So capital creates more capital appreciation if you manage the cash flows. So ATM is a great example. You buy an ATM, you get depreciation plus cash flow. And then the fact that you get the depreciation means you don't pay the Uncle Sam. And if you don't pay Uncle Sam, that means you keep more money in the game. So we designed a model that works with us. So we created, first of all, you can buy equity with us. It's very, very fair equity. We take no distributions of equity until 100% of your capital is back in your hands and you're fully caught up. So it's a very fair model. Uh, we've been complimented by a lot of people in the industry on that. So it's different than no splits. It's 100% to investors, then there's a split. So then you go from equity, because not everybody wants equity. Sometimes they want steady checks, literally every month. So those people tend to buy the things like ATM machine style stuff because they get full tax depreciation. We call it, we call them EIFs. They're called efficient income funds, efficient for tax efficiency. Plus we buy solar. We don't only buy solar, but we buy solar in there. So you get some impact investing if that's part of your priorities and your goals. Plus you get all your money uh, depreciated in day one, okay, based on the IRS current tax code. And then you get steady checks every month. And what's cool about our checks? is they're coming back. We say, please give us up to five years of steady payments or we'll accelerate it. And it's good for a fixed income person or something like that. But the checks are coming back with their full preference every month plus a portion of paid down principal. So we're basically de-risking your investment every month. Okay. So it's very large checks. It's not like five, you know, for 50 grand, it's almost a thousand dollars a month. Okay. So then you go over to the cool thing is people love notes. You know, Fred Moskowitz is one of our great investors, and he's the guy who just wrote the recent notes book. You know, I'm friends with all the guys from Bigger Pockets that do notes investing. So instead of us going out and buying performing notes, we created a performing note. It, it's a very lucrative note. It's called the Collateralized Debt Fund, and that releases here in the next few weeks. And um, so people, and what's cool about that is that that's not equity really. It's part of the debt structure, so it's the safest way to invest in private assets which is why people invest in notes. It doesn't come with the tax savings though. So people usually are IRAs usually for that because good, you know, you get a steady income on your IRA and you have no tax consequence because it's in an IRA, right? So guess what? What we found, Jim, is there's people that want all different types of investment performance based on where they're at in their age, where they have a portfolio diversification plan. So all three of those, what they're doing though, is changing the value of our resorts because what we did is we designed them as win-wins. Sorry, that's really a deep dive. I hope you have the big glove and you're running left in the left field with like a big gigantic and you're jumping up and you're like, woo, that's some left field stuff, my brother. That is I love awesome it. left field stuff we're doing. 
and this is the one time I wish we had video because you just went back to the wall and made a and made a made a great catch. So, yeah. <laughs> but cool listen, stuff. that 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 is fantastic, and and I think for our group, you know, we are focused. We just came out uh, yesterday and and with a with a new tool to analyze multifamily and how to invest in it, and so we're focused on that. We're working on some other assets, but this is a brand new asset class that you wouldn't think to invest in now, but it might be the perfect time because of pandemic prices are down. I know you say you buy from mom and pop people who might be just exhausted from trying to get through this and are ready to sell. So there's some good opportunity here. Jim, Jim and I talked about this, everybody. His show is going to dominate the airwaves because everybody wants to know is, do we have to invest in Wall Street? Nope, you don't have to. And that's what left field investing is all about. There's a whole nother universe. It's a little bit in the left field, except for when you get in the left field, it's center field. Okay. So <laughs> no, but no, uh, Jim, you're it's an honor to be part of your uh, community, buddy. That's great. And uh, my last question for everybody is because I, I'm a I'm a big podcast guy. I usually listen at two and a half speed, so I can cram a Whoa. bunch in on my morning walk. It, it, you have to work up to it. But can you tell me, other than the fantastic podcast Capital Hacking, we're not going to count that one. Can you tell me <laughs> another great podcast that you listen to? The truth is, it's usually both Cashflow Ninja with MC Laubscher, our good buddy, big investor with us, thank God, yeah. and Bigger Pockets. I do still love Bigger Pockets. I think they're so yeah. great. And the people they put on the show are shocking to me all the time. So I like to get to know all those people. And by the way, you forgot, Jim, that the investors who invest with us, we all came together and we created Wealth Building with Friends, the newest podcast, and it is freaking awesome. Left fielders would love it. Wealth Building with Friends. Wait till you see who's hosting that. It's a bunch of us. I will check that one out for sure. Again. Really appreciate you coming on our podcast. We had a great time. If people want to invest with you or just connect with you, um, can you tell them how they can do that? Yeah, great news. You don't have to invest, but you can join the community without investing. And you can join our events live and on the internet. It's called Accountable Equity. Accountable Equity, just exactly what you want and what I want when I put money places. I want accountability. So Accountable Equity has a huge education platform growing. But it also has events, learning grow events, which are extremely cheap and they have keynotes and it's kind of like going to a small bigger pockets conference. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for being with us. We really appreciate it. It was a great show and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. What a pleasure it was to have Josh join us today. I'm always looking for the less conventional asset to help diversify my other investments in multifamily and some of the other things I'm doing. And I love what Josh is doing with resort investing. He is right when he says this might be the best time to get into the resort space at affordable prices. We haven't seen much of a dip in prices for most asset classes, multifamily and other things, but I got to think the pandemic will make for some good deals in the resort area. Josh and Accountable Equity are in the right place at the right time, I think. And they have three different approaches, which is nice. You can buy into the equity portion of the deals, you can participate in the notes, or you can go for the heavy cash flow with the efficient income fund, the EIF, that has the, the big checks and also some tax benefits alongside. He has something to offer everyone for sure. Best of all, Josh is building a community of investors, so it's a great match with what we're doing at Left Field Investors. Josh also has an excellent podcast, so when you're done here, head over to Capital Hacking and binge on some awesome content from Josh.
Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.